Good morning, everyone. Good morning. If you please stand with us. You are holy. You are holy. You are mighty. You are mighty. You are worthy. You are worthy. Worthy of praise. Worthy of praise. I will follow. I will follow. I will listen. I will listen. I will
in in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2. It says, There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Amen? Amen. Amen. While you're standing, take a moment and welcome those around you. If you'll return to your seats, you may be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome to Northside Baptist Church. We're thankful that you're here to worship with us. It's, uh, it's a week of Thanksgiving, right? So we have many things to be thankful for. And uh, some of you will be traveling this week. Some people maybe are already traveling. And so we just pray that you have an incredible uh, week just filled with, with gratitude and thanksgiving and safe travels and enjoy uh, time with family. We we'll want to welcome you to Northside. If this is your first time with us, we are thrilled to have you, delighted to have you. Um, if this is your first time, we would appreciate if you would let us know. There's a couple ways you can do that. There's a QR code in the bulletin that you can scan with your phone, or there's a connection card out in the foyer that you can fill out. Um, just helps us get to know a little bit more about you. And there's always a place for you, either online or on that card, to let us know how we can be praying for you. We certainly want to do that. We have a couple different videos we're going to show you this morning, some mission focus, but before we show one of those, let's go over some announcements. Uh, there's an announcement in there about the women's ministry Christmas party on December 1st. Uh, ladies, you want to be part of that. Uh, Awana needs some help with the Awana Christmas store, so all the information that you need is in there. Um, please bring those items by Sunday, December 3rd. This is a big thing our Awana kids do. It's a way for them to be rewarded. And at the Christmas time, uh, a lot of the kids use their shares to buy Christmas gifts. Um, and so it's a way for them to do that. And so if you can bring some items to donate, we would appreciate that. We got a church conference next Sunday night. Just a reminder, we have no uh, activities at the church tonight, nor uh, any activities on Wednesday. And let me point out one other thing. We've done this for several years now, Christmas in Coweta. The information's in the bulletin. We have two families, so all boys, four boys. It says from four to nine, but there's actually a two-year-old, so it's two to nine. Those tags are on the bulletin board. Last year, they went quickly. You guys grabbed those items up. I appreciate that. So when you leave, 
Check out the Connect board. Grab some of those items. Purchase them. Make sure you bring them back. We'll have a table for you to put them on and put the tag with the item. Keep the tag so that we know who it goes for and just be in prayer for these two families. We're also right in the middle of Operation Christmas Child. Uh, we are going to serve. Um, that's in the bulletin on December 9th. We want to encourage you. If you've never done this, it's a great time of serving, um, of ministering. You can bring a friend. You've got to scan that QR code, and you've got to sign up, though. If you want to go, you need to sign up. So make sure you do that. So over the past year, um, Operation Christmas Child hit a big milestone for them. And so this video is about that, that number of boxes that they have filled. Um, and so Franklin Graham is in this video a lot. So check out this video. The war still goes on, and uh, we are all tired. Uh, we're all tired going through a difficult time. We are strong in our faith, but without resources, we cannot bring victory to our country. We're here for Operation Christmas Child right now. This year, we've given out the 200 millionth shoe box in 30 years, 200 million boxes. It's hard to fathom 200 million, but it's something God has done. Every box is important. The 200 millionth is not any more important than the person who gave the first box. Every box is important because every box is an opportunity to tell a child about God's love, about his son, Jesus Christ. Now, being able to be on the other side, to be able to pack a shoebox and being able to deliver a shoebox to children in Ukraine, it's just an absolute privilege. This country has suffered incredibly and is and still suffering. These children, this is just a chance to, to put the war behind them for a few minutes, for an hour or so, and it gives them a chance to come up with but this time, people's hearts really soften. They are looking for hope. They are looking for future. Something good has to be in this world among all of the atrocities people go through. When the gospel was presented, I prayed that their hearts were opened and the seeds of gospel were planted in those hearts. I know that they felt love today. I know that they felt the hope and love of Jesus. In the midst of war, we know that he is powerful. He is bigger than all of this. And the fact that Operation Christmas Child is able to come into this country and continue to deliver the gospel is it's incredible. It just shows you how amazing our God is. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we read in your word that we are to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into marvelous light. Father, we are living in a world of darkness, of war, of pain, of suffering, of disease, of decay, of death. And in the midst of that darkness, there is light. There is hope. There's joy. And there is peace. And each of us in this room who have who have received Christ Jesus the Lord, we are to live as the light. For Jesus, you are the light of the world. And just hearing this video, Lord, whether it was the first box or the 200 millionth box, Lord, a lot of boxes have been passed out, and in doing so, they've been passed out in the name of Jesus. 
light has gone into the midst of some of the hardest places, into the darkness. And people have been saved through a shoebox because it's through this box that they are hearing, maybe for the first time, that Jesus, you died for them. They're seeing, maybe for the first time, this act of love in receiving a box from somebody that they don't know. And Lord, it's a privilege to be able to give. It's a a blessing to be so close to a distribution center like in Atlanta where we can go and, and serve and and for some of these boxes to be the last hands that touch them before they're put in a big box to be the last hands that pray over them before they're taped up and put on a truck and sent um, into a different country and Lord so we know the ends of the earth needs the gospel but this morning we also need the gospel Lord we walk into this place where for some hearts are heavy for some we're tired we're stressed or anxious feeling overwhelmed by life so this morning Lord we just need to sit we need to worship we need to praise you we need to hear from you and oh God we pray that we would be like you our Heavenly Father that as you are holy so we too would be holy that all of our conduct would come under the authority of of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that all of our conduct would be transformed through the power of the Holy Spirit this morning. So, oh God, move in this place, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Let's worship together.
for this opportunity to come to your house this morning and praise and worship you. Just ask that you would take these tithes and offerings to further your kingdom. In your heavenly and gracious name, amen. <coughs>
Amen. Amen. Thank you, choir. All right, at this time, our children are going to make their way out for Children's Church. Both of our age groups are going to make their way out. Everybody else will take your copy of God's Word and go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Going to be in verses 13 through 16. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. Would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's word? This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Oh God, open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things in your law. Transform our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. There was a, a California driver's license examiner who told about a teenager who had almost driven a perfect test. He made his only mistake, said the examiner, when he stopped to let me out of the car. After breathing a sigh of relief, the boy exclaimed, I'm sure glad I don't have to drive like that all the time. <laughs> Probably not what you want to say to your driver's license examiner. I'm sure glad I don't have to drive like that all the time. The recipients of Peter's letter are living in between the already of their conversion, the already of their salvation, and the not yet of their home going. They haven't gone to see Jesus or to be with him yet. You and I are in that same place. If you are saved, you're in, the, you're in that between the already of your salvation, giving your life to Jesus, this living hope, and you're waiting for Christ to come to give you that eternal inheritance. Peter has written what is basically one long sentence telling them who they are in Christ and of what Christ has done for them. And then in verse 13, he takes this shift. We talked about it last week. He says, therefore, and now he's going to go from the indicatives, this is who you are in Christ, to now this is how you live. We call these the imperatives. So how are they to live now? Well, he gave us one imperative in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, the imperative is set your hope fully. Your hope, as you live in between the already of your conversion, the not yet of your home going, your hope is to be set upon the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he says you have hope. You live in hope. Set your hope fully. The second imperative in this section comes in the words, be holy. Hope, and now he's going to talk about holy. Be holy. So here's the main truth I want you to see that we'll unpack in verses 14 through 16. We are to live as obedient children by saying no to our past and yes to our Heavenly Father. 
We are to live as obedient children by saying no to our past and yes to our heavenly Father. So notice the command. He begins in verse 14, as obedient children. Peter is saying to his recipients, you are children. You're children. God is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, chapter 1, verse 3. And in Christ, he is our Father. Verse 17, we'll see next week, says, and if you call on him as Father. He's the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, and in Christ, he is our Father. Peter says, he's caused us to be born again. We are born into a new family. God is Father. We are sons and daughters. He says, you're children, children of the Father. He says, as obedient children. Children are to obey their parents. Amen, parents? Amen, children. You're to be obedient to your parents. You are to be respectful and kind to your parents. That's how you are to be. We are children of God the Father. We are to obey the Father. Peter's already talked about this in 1 Peter 1, 2. He writes for obedience to Jesus Christ. He's already laid down for us this idea of obedience. In Acts chapter 5, verse 29, we read these words. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. They recognize their ultimate authority is now in God the Father, their creator. It's not in the government or the powers of men. So as obedient children, we are to live as obedient children. In other words, you are a child of God, so live that way. As a child of God, walk in obedience. All right, Peter, what's that look like? So what Peter now is going to do after he establishes as obedient children, your children who are to be obedient, he's going to lay out for us what that looks like. And he first states it in the negative, and then he states it in the positive. So as obedient children, live as obedient children. So the big idea for us this morning is by saying no to your past. Look what Peter writes. As obedient children, here's the negative, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So if you're going to be obedient children of the Father, you are not to be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So let's break that down. Do not be conformed. There's one other place in the New Testament where we see the same Greek word. It's Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. The word conform means to pattern one's actions or life after something. So Peter is saying you are not to pattern your life, your actions after this. Don't be conformed. Don't pattern your behavior after this. After what, Peter? Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. He's just said as obedient children. And now he's reminding them, you have not always been obedient nor children. God was father in the sense that he created you, but you have been living in rebellion against him. There was a time in which you were not sons and daughters, but rather you were in a state of former ignorance. You've been born again. Your, this is an amazing concept to some, so many people. That, that this is foreign to them, even though they've sat in church their whole life. Your new life in Christ ought to be drastically different 
than the old life before Christ. Amen? Like there should be a significant change from when you were in your ignorance before Christ to now you've been born again into this hope because of Christ. Peter speaks to this old life a little bit later, and we'll get there probably in months and months. It's in 1 Peter chapter 4. Listen to what he says in verse 2. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. And then he talks about what those human passions look like. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles, the pagans, the unbelievers want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. This once was your life. This is how you lived in your former ignorance. In Ephesians 2, Paul says, before Christ, we were dead in our sins and trespasses. And Paul even says, we were not sons of obedience but sons of disobedience. That was our nature. We were sinners rebelling against God. But Peter says, now, because you've been born again, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance in that unbelieving state. In other words, you and I can't be ruled any longer by our former passions that represented who we were before Christ. Hear me, brothers and sisters, don't let your life be influenced or controlled by the former sinful and selfish passions. In other words, when you come to faith in Christ, there's certain things you won't do anymore, certain things you won't say anymore, certain music you won't listen to anymore, certain things on TV you won't watch anymore, certain jokes you won't tell anymore. Like There are certain things that will change in your life through the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. Now, sinful desires remain. Everyone in this room, if you're still in the flesh, you still have to daily mortify, put to death sin. Those sinful passions are there, but the good news through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ is they no longer have to rule your heart. You have been saved from the power of sin. Somebody say amen. amen. You don't have to be controlled by your sin any longer. You no longer have to be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Now, people will say, and I think it's with good intentions, they'll say something like this. Hey, you got a decision to make. You just need to follow your heart. I would say that's not good advice. Because here's the reality as sinful people. If you understand your sin nature, your heart will take you places you don't really want to go. Your heart will take you places you certainly don't need to go. You don't make decisions based upon a feeling or an emotion or your heart. Because we are still sinners who wrestle with a sinful nature. No, if you want to follow your heart, if you want to tell somebody, hey, follow your heart, you better make sure you also say that is if Christ is completely in control of your heart. If Christ is ruling and reigning in your heart, then sure, follow your heart because you're following after Christ. But usually when we say follow your heart, we just mean, well, it's a gut instinct, just do it. It feels right, just do it. No, we are to be ruled by Christ. So if we're going to be obedient children, we have to understand we have been cut off, separated from that old way of life. Don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But now he states it in the positive. 
And so as we're talking about this big idea, right, we're to live as obedient children by saying no to our past, no to those sinful desires, put them to death, and say yes to our heavenly Father. Look at look what Peter writes. But as he who called you is holy. Let's stop there. He who called you. Peter has no problem saying it was God who chose you, it was God who called you. God in his grace took the initiative. Peter doesn't have any problem saying that. It's he who called you. Schreiner writes, the reference to calling is important for again, grace precedes demand. It's God who calls us. It's God who shows us grace, the grace to save us, and then he gives us the grace to empower us to go live out what he tells us to do. So he who called you, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have a God who calls us out of darkness and into light. Amen? We have a God who calls us out of death and into life. Amen? And we have a God who calls us out of ignorance and he brings us into the truth. God calls us as he who called you is holy. Just hang on to that is holy because we're going to come back to that in verse 16. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Holy. We say that word a lot in church. I don't think lost people probably know what that word means. I heard a pastor say this past week, if you were to go up to 10 people and you were to say, hey, what does the word holy mean? Most of them probably could not even tell you what holy means. They don't know. So what does the word holy mean? Because Peter says we are to be holy. The word means to be set apart. It means to live differently. It means to separate from what is evil, or even in the Old Testament, that which is ordinary and common. So to be separate from that and to be devoted or to devote oneself or to vote an item to good or ultimately to glorifying God. So to be separate from evil, sin, the ordinary, and devoted unto God. That's what it means to be holy. Holy in what? In some of your conduct. Most of your conduct. No. It says all. Was that word really there in the Greek? Yep. Peter, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says to these recipients, you are to be holy in one small word. Makes a massive difference. All your conduct. In other words, your whole way of life is to be lived to the glory of God. All of your life is to be set apart unto God. This one word shoots holes in the argument of those who believe that as Christians, you can have your private life, your spiritual life, but your public life can be different. This shoots holes in the argument of people that say, hey, Christians, just keep your religion to yourself. Keep it out of politics. Keep it out of the moral realm. Just hide over here and live how you want. No, because he says in all your conduct, you are to be holy. Consider Israel. 
Many times Peter is going to take his readers and he's going to go back to the Old Testament and he does that explicitly in verse 16. But consider Israel. God brings his people Israel out of Egypt. He brings them to the promised land. He fulfills his covenant with them. He begins to give them the law, the moral law, the civil law, the ceremonial law. God's giving them the law. In giving them the law, one thing it does is it exposes them as sinners. When it says, do not covet, if God doesn't define for us what it means to covet, then we don't have a clue. We can do whatever we want. We don't know. But when God says, this is coveting and you don't do it, now we say, oh man, I'm doing that. I'm a sinner. So it exposes our sin and ultimately the law points us to our Savior, whom we will learn is Jesus Christ as you continue to read through the Bible. But here's something else the law did. The law, as God brings Israel into the promised land, the law is to set them apart. Israel is to be in every way vastly different than the nations around them. They are to diet differently. They are to eat differently than the nations. They are to dress differently. Their clothing is to be different. Their ethics are to be different. Their relationships are to be different. Their worship is to be different. And so God lays out these laws because he says, I'm your God, you're my people, I am holy, and you are to be holy, and you are to be different. Your whole way of life, hear me, if you claim the name of Jesus, every area of your life is to be changed. Every area of your life. Jesus wants it all. He wants to be Lord over all of it. Every area under, under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Does Jesus really care what I watch? Yes, he does. Does Jesus really care what kind of music I listen to? Yes. Does Jesus care how you speak at work? Yes. He cares about all of it. Why? Because he's holy. And you represent the holy one. He cares about it. Every area transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but if Jesus just tells me, hey, you're to live differently, and he doesn't give me the power, I'm lost. And that's what the law did. The law told them this is what's right, this is what's sin, but the law didn't give them the power to do it. So they had to offer up sacrifices because they kept falling short. Thankfully for us, through the Holy Spirit, we now have the power to live out God's word. And when we fall short, we have the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse us. Amen? We're to live differently. This week as I was studying, I was reminded of a song that I think was, came out in 2014, 2015. It's called Christ Be All Around Me. And the bridge says, above and below me, before and behind me, and every eye that sees me, Christ be all around me. Like When you live your life, Christ is to be all around you. And Christ is to be everything in your life. And Christ wants lordship over everything. You're to live. I'm to live as obedient children. So let's just be honest with ourselves. You may not express it. But just through the way you live, is there any area that you've just said to the Lord, it's off limits? Like, okay, Lord, I'm willing to give you this. Sure, Lord, I'll do this. But yeah, this part, Lord, I just want to hang on to. I want to keep being in control. I don't want to let this go. I don't want to be transformed in this area. Because we are to live as obedient children, holy in all our conduct. So that's the command. So how do we live in the already of our conversion, in the not yet of our home going, have hope, be holy. So what's the motivation? What's the motivation? Look what he says in verse 16. 
Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. God is holy, and his people are to be holy. God is holy. What does that mean? R.C. Sproul writes, and this will be on the screen. He writes, the first and primary meaning of the term holy refers to God's transcendent majesty, his otherness, the sense in which God is different from anything in the created order. So when we speak of God being holy, we often think, well, that means he's pure. He's without sin. Yes and amen. That's what it means to be holy. We're not holy because we are sinful. God is completely holy. He has never sinned. But when we talk about God being holy, we mean more than just God has never sinned. R.C. Sproul says we are talking about his transcendent majesty, his otherness. In other words, God is different. He is unique. He is other. Isaiah 6.3, holy, say it with me, holy, holy. Is God love? Yes. In Scripture, do you read God as love, love, love? No. Is God gracious? Yes. Is he merciful? Is he kind, slow to anger? Yes, you see that throughout the Scriptures. But the only time in Scripture that we see the very character of God, the very nature of God mentioned three times is when we read he is holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. 1 Samuel 2, 2, there is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. John MacArthur writes, God didn't set the standard. God is the standard. God is holy. And you and I are to be holy because he is holy. So what does Peter do? Well, Peter takes us to the Old Testament. He takes us back to the book of Leviticus. There's four times, I believe, if, if I'm remembering correctly, um, four times in Leviticus where basically this idea that Peter quotes is mentioned. But most scholars believe he's quoting directly from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2, when it says, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Then we read this in Leviticus 20, verse 26. You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, I, Yahweh, am holy and have separated you from the peoples. I've separated you from the peoples, that you may be mine. Brothers and sisters, hear me. God is holy, and I am not. And when you realize, when you get a glimpse, when you begin to see just how holy and other and unique God is compared to anything on this earth, you begin to realize how sinful you are and how you simply can't measure up. The law was given not so that we would keep every law and be saved, because God knows we're not going to keep every law. You break just one, you're guilty. And so when you begin to see God's law, you begin to see God's holiness, you begin to see your sinfulness, you realize you can't measure up. You can't save yourself. And this is meant to bring you to the end of yourself. It is meant to bring you to a place of despair. When you see his holiness, your sinfulness, that you deserve condemnation in hell, but thankfully, by God's grace, he gives his son Jesus. So that we cast ourselves upon Jesus. So that his righteousness is imputed to us. So that we can be saved. We come to the end of ourselves and we put our trust in Christ. I need his forgiving and transforming grace. God is 
holy. That's your motivation. God is holy, therefore you ought to strive to be holy. You ought to, as his child, want to pattern yourself after the Father. So let me ask you a question. Do you look more like the world or more like your Father in heaven? Because if you are his child, there ought to be a family resemblance. Um, Ryan's mom is in town. And so last night, one of uh, our foster kids, I'm not going to mention names because it's recorded and I try to be careful with that. Uh, when she walked in, just made the comment of how they look like each other. Right? She's like, you look like your mom. And then he was in the other room and he came back in and he said, you sound like your mom. Like, there's a family resemblance there. It's, it's the daughter. Looks like her mom and sounds like her mom. And people probably said that about you. Oh, you look like your dad, Mr. So-and-so. Or you, you act just like your mom, right? That's your parents. There ought to be a, a family resemblance. Brothers and sisters, when you walk into the workplace, when you walk into the grocery store, when you're at the baseball fields or the soccer fields and your kids are playing, do you look like the Father? Do you act like your Father who is in heaven? Is it obvious in the way you live and conduct yourself and speak and think? Is it obvious to people there's something different about you? And if they have no idea what it is, that they would want to ask you to say, what is unique about you? What sets you apart? Or if they have an idea what it means to have a relationship with God, that they would know, oh, this person is a Christian. It's just obvious to them. It's obvious to them. There's a story told of Alexander the Great. He had a soldier in his army, and this particular soldier became so paralyzed by fear that he deserted the army, deserted the battle, and deserted his master and ruler, Alexander the Great. When the battle was over, he was caught. He was brought before the Alexander the Great. I mean, he's great. It's in his name. Like, I can imagine the terror he must have felt. Alexander looked at the soldier and said to the young man, Son, what's your name? And the man replied, my name is Alexander. Alexander the Great looked at that man and said, Well, son, either change your name or change your conduct. What was his point? Son, you bear my name. I'm Alexander the Great. I'm not afraid. Change your name or stop living in fear. If we bear the name of Christ, then our behavior ought to look different. The way we live ought to look different. Does that mean we're perfect? No. It doesn't mean we're perfect. But it means we recognize we want to become more like Christ. What does Peter say of them right at the beginning, the opening of this letter? He says, to those who are elect, what? Exiles. Meaning this isn't your home. You don't belong here. And now we come to verse 16 and verse 15, and we realize why they don't belong here. Because he's saying you, by God's grace, are now holy. You're holy. You've been set apart. Set apart unto God. Forgetting the ways of your past. And hear me. If you live a holy life consecrated unto the Lord our God in an unholy, ungodly world who wants nothing to do from God, guess what? You're not going to fit in and belong here. 
if you live for Jesus, you will not fit in. Listen, if you live like the world, you will never face persecution for your faith in Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean you won't suffer, doesn't mean you won't have pain, but actually for your faith in Jesus, you'll never suffer because you're living like the world. Satan could care less. The world could care less if you're going to live like them. But hear me. If you decide right now, or you've already made the decision, listen, God, by your grace and in your strength, because I can't do this alone, I'm going to live a holy life, I'm going to live a devoted life, I'm going to live a godly life. Hear me, you will stand opposed to the world, you'll stand opposed to Satan, and you will feel their fury. They will come, Satan will come after you, if you seek to live for the glory of Jesus Christ. He will bring everything against you. Because he knows you're willing to live as light in the darkness. And he doesn't want that. He wants you staying in captivity, feeling as though you're dead, not walking in this eternal, abundant life that the Lord Jesus Christ has given you. As we conclude, let's go back to Leviticus 19. I want you to take your Bibles and go there because I want you to see this. Leviticus 19. As God is speaking to his people Leviticus 19, I want you to notice a statement that the Lord mentions over and over and over as we begin to land the plane. Beginning at verse 1, Leviticus 19, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy. Why? For I, here's the phrase, the Lord your God, Yahweh your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. Why? You shall keep my Sabbaths. Why? I am the Yahweh. I am Yahweh, your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. Why? I am Yahweh, your God. That's the motivation that we have a God in heaven who is Yahweh, the Lord our God. He is our master. He is our ruler. And we know through Christ he becomes our father. We want to live for him. Let me ask you this question. Do you feel pressure to be holy? Like, do you feel pressure to be holy? Maybe you say, Pastor, man, I'm always feeling pressure to be holy. And a lot of it comes from you. Like, I come in here, and you're preaching about live this way, and don't do this, and do this, and it just kind of gets exhausting. Like, I just feel all this pressure to go out and live a certain way. Or maybe that pressure comes from some Christian friends who love you and see the way that you're living and they know you claim the name of Jesus and so they're just like, hey, this is not how a follower of Jesus would live and you just always feel this pressure to be holy and to do what God wants you to do. Or maybe it comes from your family. You just feel your family's always on you. They won't get off your back. Are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? Are you living like God? You feel this pressure. Or maybe you feel pressure to be holy because you're afraid of judgment or discipline. Like, man, I came to church today because I was afraid if I didn't, God would discipline me and my week would be rough. Just this pressure to be holy. I want to propose to you as we close that for followers of Christ, being holy shouldn't feel like pressure. It shouldn't feel like this weight upon your shoulders that you've got to live up in all your conduct to who God wants you to be. I would submit to you that you should want to be holy. I would submit to you that there is joy 
in walking with the Lord and living out his commands and his words in our conduct. Why? Because God is holy and he is the Lord our God. He is our father and we are his children. But we weren't always his children because we were orphans. You and myself, we were the ones who were without hope. We were the ones who were cut off from God. We were the ones who were recklessly living in our sin and left to ourselves. We were on our way to hell. But God, but God seeing us in our former state of ignorance on our way to hell, caring less about the Lord our God, calls us and chooses us and gives us new life. He reached down into your hot mess of a life and he rescued you and he gave you eternal life and it was all by grace. But it doesn't stop there. He then brings you into his family. He has authority over you as your heavenly father. He provides care for you every day. He provides guidance for your life. Yes, he provides discipline when it's necessary, just as parents provide discipline to their children when it's necessary. He provides protection. He provides shelter. He gives you his word so that you can know his very heart and character, so that you can know him personally. He gives us his spirit who indwells us and transforms us and changes us. He begins to give us new desires. So brothers and sisters, don't feel pressure to be holy. Don't feel pressure as if God's commands are a killjoy or a burden. That God is just in heaven laughing because he's making us do all sorts of things we don't really want to do. No, find joy in walking in obedience. Find joy in being set apart. Stop striving to fit in. Find joy in knowing we'll never fit in, not in Christ, that we're set apart. Find joy in being consecrated unto God. Find joy in knowing that your creator, your God, your father desires that his children resemble him in a lost, hostile, hard world. And in the already of your conversion and the not yet of your homegoing, have hope. And be holy, for the Lord our God is holy, and we ought to desire to rightly resemble him to a lost and dying world who needs the gospel and who needs to see people who really believe in the gospel and that Christ does, in fact, change and transform lives. Would you close your eyes and bow your head? Father, you call us to be holy, and man, that is a weighty calling because every one of us in this room, we could stand up right now and List sin after sin after sin. List the things that we still struggle with and wrestle with. But Lord, you call us to be holy. Some of us this morning, maybe we're striving to be holy in our own strength, in our own power. We think holiness comes from just simply checking off some boxes. Maybe some of us this morning were frustrated because we want to be holier. We want to be more faithful. We want to walk in obedience and we just continue to miss the mark. It's one step forward and two or three steps back. And so, Father, this morning, there is a command. Everyone in this room has heard the command. And the command is to be holy. But, God, may we also hear that you will empower us to live out that command. That, God, the very areas in our life right now that your spirit is drawing and convicting us of, 
the very sin that right now we need to let go of and put it to death, oh God, you will provide the Holy Spirit who will help us to do that. That very new thing that we need to put on, the fruit of the Spirit, that's not something that we can manufacture, but God, that's something you do powerfully in us. That we, we come this morning and we come just yielding ourselves under your authority, under your sovereignty, under your power. We come confessing sin. We come repenting of sin. I pray some are coming, putting their faith and trust in Jesus for the first time. But God, I pray we all come and it is the desire of our heart to say no to the sins and the passions of our former ignorance and to say yes to the Heavenly Father who loves us more than anything in this world could possibly love us or even offer us. And so God, we come. And as we're about to sing, Lord, we want to build our life, our actions, our thoughts, everything upon you and who you are. But God, we recognize we can't do it alone so, Spirit of the living God, move in this place. Empower your people. Draw unbelievers to yourself for your glory and your honor. But, oh God, we pray, expose our sin. Speak to our hearts and give us the grace that we so desperately need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to be here at the front as we sing this song. The altar is open. You can come and I'll pray with you. May just... Just get right with the Lord. Lay your life before the Lord and let's sing these words together.
be seated. Amen. So before we dismiss our service, we do want to show you one more video um, and then give you an update about our mission trip uh, to Guatemala. So we're going to show this video, and then Brian is going to come give an update. After that, Pastor Gary, if you'll come and lead us in uh, the closing of Scripture. Um, pray everybody has a great week and a happy Thanksgiving, and I'll be out uh, in the foyer. Pastor Gary's available. If you need somebody to pray with you, for you, encourage you, just please uh, see us. Uh, but we're excited about this mission trip in February, so check this video out.
So I hope that video makes you real excited. Um, three months to today, uh, we'll, we'll board a flight uh, to Guatemala to, to build a house. So soon we'll have a video uh, like that to share of a house that uh, members of Northside uh, have built and contributed to the family. So um, it's getting very real for us. Uh, when I first mentioned this and, and, and asked people to express interest, it was feeling like we had seven or eight folks that, that might go. And, that was going to be a lot of swinging the hammer and a lot of buckets of uh, a concrete to, uh, to carry and, and to mix. Uh, but I'm excited to share we have 19 people signed up. And uh, so we got an awesome uh, trip planned. Uh, everybody's bought their plane tickets. Like, we're doing this uh, thing. So um, we have to raise about 11300 and something dollars. I think Debbie knows the exact number, but um, right around $11,400. Um, for the house itself, um, and I'm uh, excited to report we're just shy, just $500 shy of that number. So uh, we're very close. So yeah. <clears throat> so we kind of have to reach that goal to provide a house, but we're very close uh, to that. You may be asking, well, why are there so many envelopes still on the wall if we're so close to the $500? Uh, the reason for that is anything above and beyond the house. Uh, will go towards the, the trips, the, the team's trip expenses, uh, which is about $900 a person, um, roughly, uh, in that neighborhood. So we're going to show you next week uh, the actual family that, we're build, that we'll be building for, the pastor that we're supporting uh, in Guatemala through that. So we have a video. It's really cool. Like, we can see the husband and wife and their three-year-old uh, child who will, you know, be in possession of the house and will be there building uh, with us. So we'll show you that uh, next week, but just really excited. Um, we're going to, I'll get up again next week and, and share real, real briefly, and then we're going to lay low through the Christmas season. We'll turn our focus on, on Advent and other things like that. Um, but just through that time and, and really up until we leave, if you feel um, led to give, uh, please just, you know, grab an envelope out there, um, and we would love you to, uh, to partner with, with us. Uh, thank you for everybody who's already given. Like I said, we're very, very excited. Northside, let's stand. Let's raise our voices as we say the Great Commission together. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Live sent.